Gospels, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. Second, the Old Test, great Old Testament book, 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, we have... We have uh, we've been here for a, a number of weeks here, looking in First and in Second Kings, and uh, you know what? I love God's word. I absolutely love God's word. Now I've been I've been reading the Bible for you know a lot of years. I'm not uh, just trust me. A lot of years I've been reading the Bible, and, and I've been studying the word for a long time. But I I say this sincerely. You know, you hear this story. You know, if you were to go to, I really would choose the Bible because it 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 speaks to me. It 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 nourishes me. It it it, it inspires me. But God speaks to me through His Word, and and there's power in His Word. And I I just love God's Word. Um, almost every morning I spend time in devotions and, and there have been very, very few times in my life that I have not, that I've, I've not come away from that and said, Lord, you spoke to me. And, and I'm so very grateful for that. And uh, so I just love God's word. Again, we've been here in these, in these two books. Looking at these people, um, even though it says the title of the book is Kings, and it does talk about many of the kings of the Jewish nations of Israel and Judah, uh, it's, it's really, a lot of it has to do with, with the, the prophets of God, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, the prophets of God, the spokesmen of God, people that God used to call his people back to him, people that God used to confront evil, people that God used to to bring people into a place of repentance, and also people that God used in the miraculous. And so again, for some weeks we've been looking at this, first of all, this man named Elijah, right? Elijah, J comes earlier in the alphabet, and then a man named Elisha, his successor, S comes later, that's kind of one way that we can remember it, but Elijah and Elisha, these Men who were greatly used of God. And, and as, as with these messages, as with all messages, let's never look to the Bible and simply say, well, that's, that, that happened back then. But when we read Scripture and when we study Scripture and when we read about these people that the Lord used, let's not look back and just say that was nice then, but let's say this, Lord, what you did then, you desire to do today. That's really important. God, what you did then, when you read, even though this happened about 2,800 years ago, don't look at it simply as history, but what God did then, he desires to do. Do you know that God is no, not, he's not stronger now than he was then? He's not weaker now than he was then. God is. He is um, omnipotent. He's, he's, he's always been powerful, and, and he, he desires to do the things today that we read about here. So you need to understand that before we even look at the text here this morning. But we're, we're looking at this, and um, this, this, this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2, is a chapter of both endings and beginnings. I mentioned Elijah. Elijah, this, this older man who had been greatly used of God, this chapter, it, it, his, his story essentially ends. And then the younger man, Elisha, God's chosen successor, to Elijah, his public ministry essentially begins in this 
in this same chapter. And we looked at that, that transition this last week. Many of you were traveling. Some of you were, were here. Uh, it's, it's available on, on uh, the website. You can, you can download it as a podcast and listen to it. But we saw that transition where Elijah comes with Elisha and they cross over the Jordan River. And it happened quite simply this way. They come across up to the Jordan River and Elijah, the older man, takes off his cloak or his mantle. And he, and he strikes the water, and the Bible says that the water parted up on one side and on the other, and they walked across on dry ground. It's the third time in Scripture that that actually happened, that a body of water was miraculously parted, and people walked across on dry ground. And then shortly after they get across there, uh, uh, God sends a whirlwind and a chariot of fire, and the Bible says Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, and because Elisha saw it, he received a double portion of the Spirit of God that was upon Elijah, and he picks up that cloak that had, been, had, been, had fallen down, and he picks it up, and he walks back to the Jordan River that had closed in at this point, and he strikes it and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters parted. That's the fourth time in Scripture that that happened, that a body of water parted, and he walked across. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that the last miracle of Elijah is virtually identical to the first miracle of Elisha. And there was this, this transition, this amazing transition that was happening. And and again, if you were here last week, you, you heard some of this. I won't preach the entire message again. But, but the, the, the very clear message in that transition is that what God desired to do in a previous generation, what God did in a previous generation, he desires to do in successive generations. What God did to somebody early on, he desires to do in someone later on. He, he's the same God who works those amazing things in our lives today. Some of you have spent, and I, I, I want to be careful that this is not um, in any way, in any way uh, coming down on any person, but I think that we need to be careful of looking back too much. I think we need to be careful of looking back and saying, well, I remember what God did then. Or let me tell you about how God worked back in my life at a certain time. There's, there's, there's a place for that as we thank God for what he's done. The problem, I think, is that oftentimes we spend more time looking back on what God did than looking around at what he's doing and looking forward to what he's going to do. And, and, and I... I, I, I stand here as one who is, can look back and say, I, I've seen God do amazing things and I'm grateful for it, but I'm trusting him for even greater things ahead. A number of years ago, I was talking with a guy from this congregation. He's since moved, dear brother, dear friend, he's since moved to another community. And, and uh, I, I was talking with this dear friend and he said, pastor, he said, I, 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 I remember as a boy, so many of those men of God who were just, were, they, they, you could just tell they walked with God and they, they were used of God. And, and I, he said, I just admired them so much for their walk with the Lord. And he said, where are those people now? And I said, well, they're here. 
And I said, but here's the thing, <laughs> you're that guy now. And I remember his face, it kind of dropped because he was probably in his late 40s or maybe early 50s at that time. But, but all of a sudden it hit him that, yeah, those guys are all gone. Those people are all gone, but now it's my turn. Now I'm the person that, that people are looking to as that godly example of righteousness, that, 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 that example of what it means to trust in the Lord. And I say this again, that thank God for the people whose lives we affected, but God desires to do something in you today and going forward. So just a warning, let's, let's be careful about simply looking back. It's wonderful, it's a great thing that happened, but I'm trusting God for greater things ahead. And this is, that's really a big part of the message. There weren't too many more times where Elijah, excuse me, Elisha, would reference Elijah. He would a few times, but he was looking around, he was looking to the God who made it possible, not the person that went before him. And so here you have this, this transition took place. Shortly thereafter, Elisha, Elijah's gone, and Elisha is in the city called Jericho. Jericho. Now, if that, if that city name sounds familiar, it's the same Jericho that's recorded back in the book of Joshua, where about six or seven, 650, 700 years earlier, where the, the people, if you remember, marched around. The Bible says they marched around at one time a day for six days, and on the seventh time around, they uh, marched around at seven times. And at the completion of that seventh circuit of the city, they shouted and they blew some horns. And the Bible says all of the walls came a-crumbling down, right? Isn't that how we learned it as kids? They all came a-crumbling down. And, and the people of God were victorious over that city called Jericho. Same city. Same city. Same place. Now, the, the, the city has been rebuilt. The, they, they, I don't know that they built, rebuilt the walls, but the city itself has been rebuilt but all was not right in Jericho because verse 19 reads this way. The men of the city, that is the men of Jericho, said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, it was a, uh, that was a, uh, a sign of, of honor, our Lord, small l, not, not capital L. It says, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. I want you to see that line. That last line says a great deal. It said, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. The water was so bad that the land had become unproductive and unpro unproductive wasteland. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know if there was an earthquake and something shifted and all of a sudden the the good water had been polluted. We don't know if some kind of toxin had been introduced to it. We, we don't know the details of how it happened, only that it happened. And it was so foul, the water was so foul that it affected everything. It affected the crops, the people's gardens. It affected their livestock. If they had pets, I don't know if they had pets back then, but it, it affected them and it affected people. It affected people. Now you have to understand this, this city, they're facing this dilemma. It had not always been that way right? No city, even, even Jericho that had once been a great city, even in rebuild, if the water source had not been good to begin with, they wouldn't have built there. 
choose any city that's ever been, and one of the key things, you, you better have good water if you're going to build a community and if it's going to grow. It ha- so it had not always been that way, but something had happened. At some point in its history, something had happened. The water, it says, became bitter and everything it touched was affected. Now that's very important. When you have something as essential as water, something as important as water, that not only is the water itself important, but everything that it touches, it will affect, right? That's what happens with water. If you don't believe that, then, uh, then all of a sudden, if, if your well no longer worked or if the city utilities were somehow shut down, water would be of utmost importance. It would be more important in some ways than fuel for your car. Water is important because if the water's good, it will have a good effect on everything else. If the water's bad, it too will negatively affect everything around it. And that was the case here. And so Elisha, he gives some instructions. In fact, he says, he says bring me a bowl. He said, bring me a bowl and put some salt into it. And so they brought it. Well, I have a bowl here this morning. I have some, he says, bring me a bowl. I don't know if it was like this, but I kind of think it was maybe, maybe it was pottery or wood like this. But he said, bring me a new bowl and, and put salt into it. And it's kind of an interesting, interesting set of instructions, isn't it? He says, bring me, bring me a new bowl. Why a new bowl? Now, I, I'm not really sure other than that, that perhaps it was to be something that had never been used for any other purpose except this. See, this, this bowl was about to be used for a very holy purpose. And the Lord directed Elisha, bring me a new bowl, something set apart. Can I add this? That sometimes... God can use something that's been around for a very long time and he can use it for his glory and he can change the very nature of that and he can make it as if it's new again, glory to God. But he can also create something new and use it expressly for his purposes. He says, bring me a new bowl and put salt into it. Now, why salt? Not really sure. The Bible doesn't say. It says put some salt into it. Some, some scholars say that, particularly at that time, more than even now, it was for its preservative properties, right? Salt preserves, right? We know that. How many here like bacon? Raise your hand. Yeah. It's salty. Why? It preserves it. Now, we don't need that. We, we refrigerate our bacon, but that's why it was, it, was, it was to preserve. But it was also to purify. Salt, some of you know this, salt has a purifying effect. It, it, it cleans things. It, 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 takes away, it takes away bad things from it. And, and he said, bring me some salt. Bring me some salt. Bring me a new bowl and put some some salt into it. I, 
I, I, I'd, I'd love to know what Elisha was thinking, right? Why? why? He, he's, li- he's listening to God. He's listening to God. And the first part of verse 21 says this. Then Elisha went to the spring and he threw the salt into it. And I'm not going to throw this because, because the custodians would have a fit with me. And they're easygoing people, but it says he went over to that spring, the, the source, right? And he took that and he threw that into it. Now again, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to know what he was thinking? I, I don't know. It doesn't say. But here's... Here's what I think he may have been thinking. Lord, you've used me in one other miracle. <laughs> when I picked up that cloak and, and I struck the water, I did what my predecessor did. And you answered it. But Lord, we're faced with another problem. <laughs> we're faced with a dilemma. And as far as I know, this is my imagination of what was perhaps going through his imagination or his mind is, this has never been done before, but if you say do it, I'll do it. They had an impossible situation, and he has a solution that is unprecedented and uh, I think unusual. Bringing it away from the text for a moment and to you and I, I don't like impossible situations. I I don't like the tension that comes with facing something that is bigger than me and bigger than my experience and bigger than my abilities. I I do not like to encounter, I'm just telling you, I don't like impossible situations. I don't like the, the anxiety that can come with How is this going to be fixed in a body, in a business, in a family, in a church, in a community, in a culture? This is so big. It's an impossibility. They had an impossibility. You see, what what hasn't been said here, but what I believe... I'm quite confident they had probably done everything that they could. Uh, maybe they, maybe they, you know, put long probes or something down into the, the spring to try and loosen something up, or, or maybe they tried fixing the water, boiling it, doing something. But you can only do that so much. Maybe they went and made sure that you know upstream or up perhaps where the spring was being fed, that there wasn't a dead cow laying there or something like that. I'm sure they did everything they could, but it wasn't enough. It was still an impossibility. And so they came and they said, would you, the man of God, would you do something? There are many here this morning that face some kind of an impossibility right now. There are some here this morning that are are staring down something that is so big and you've tried to fix it, you've tried to bring some resolution, you've you've tried to, to figure it all out, to understand it, and there's just no understanding and it's beyond you. 
And I don't like that, but let me tell you something. Do you know what one of the, the key ingredients of a miracle is an impossibility? You want a miracle of God? Well, you first have to have an impossibility. If you have an impossibility, glory to God, you're in a good place to have a miracle from God. And that's where they were. He said, bring me a new bowl. Put some salt into it. And again, verse 21 says he went and he, to the spring and he threw the salt into it. Verse 21 continues. He said, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. You see, I, 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 I talked earlier about the, the bowl and how, why a new bowl and I, how, how it may have been because it set apart for a holy purpose. Consecrated or sanctified, that's where we get the word. Sanctified or consecrated means it's set apart for a holy purpose. And, 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 the, and the characteristics of the salt, uh, purifying and, and preserving, symbolic. Um, but really, it, it, it wasn't that it was, though, though it was very clear what the directions were, I think that the, necessarily the properties of the bowl and the properties of the salt could only do so much. I mean, the physics of it, I, I know that somehow, and I'm not sure of the science of it, but I know that when water is hard, you soften it, and salt is a part of that process. It's a, it's a cleaning process. I get that. But I don't think that he backed a truck up and dumped it in there like, oh, that was, wow, that's where we get the idea for soft water. I don't think that's what it was. I, I think if you were to go to our our utility companies now and say, all right, how do you do it? Well, we use new bowls and salt. I don't think that's it. What made the difference? He says, this is what the Lord says. You see that line up there? This is what the Lord says. In other words, Elisha didn't come up with this on his own. He is simply repeating what the Lord told him to say. In other words, he had received a word from the Lord. The, the methodology was not unimportant, but it wasn't nearly as important as receiving a word from the Lord. If God says use a new bowl, then you use a new bowl. If God says put salt into it, and by the way, salt was very valuable at that time. But it's not the properties of the bowl and the properties, it's that God spoke it. And really what happened, this was somewhat symbolic, throwing it in there, it was somewhat symbolic. But more than that, it was a word from God. This is what it says, again. This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. A word from God came and immediately, he says, he didn't say, I will heal this water. He says, I have healed this water. Never again, never again will it cause death. It had, it had killed some, perhaps some people and some animals, certainly some plants. It, it, it had made the land, but it said never again. That means it immediately happened. So one moment from right now, this was, this, 
Immediately, this water was fresh. Immediately, this, this, this spring was, was cleared up. Immediately, this, at its very source, it was fixed. I have healed this water. Verse 22 goes on to say that the water was made wholesome. And because the water was transformed, because it was changed at its very source, it then changed everything it touched, right? Remember I mentioned earlier how, how bad water ha- has an effect. It, it, if it's bad at its source, it's going to affect everything it t- touches. But if it's good at its source, it too is going to affect everything it touches. Plants, not n- before, they were killed because... There was bitterness in the water. But, but now they were fed. Before, animals would, animals would, 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 would drink it and, and dogs would drink it and they would, they would get sick and die. Cats, it had no effect on cats. But it, no, I don't know that for sure. I'm just, that's just joking about that. Fish would float upside down if you put them in it. It affected them. But now, those dogs, those cats, those cattle, those sheep, Now they were watered. Now they were nourished. People, when they drank it, they didn't get sick. Now, man, they felt great. This was the best water ever. It tasted good, and it felt good. Water was changed, and it changed everything that the water touched. With just one powerful miracle of God. Just hear me out. This is very important. Just one miracle of God a place that had been known for barrenness and death became a place of life. Say it again. <laughs> See, it was so bad that people would say, oh, Jericho, better pack water because there's bad water there. Oh, Jericho, you better bring some food along because, because they can't grow anything there. The water is so bad. So pack a lunch. It was a place that was known for barrenness. It was a place that was known for death. But with one touch from God, it became a place that was known for life. Glory to God. Now, I mentioned earlier, you have to understand that this this story here, this true story from 2 Kings chapter 2 is not recorded simply to inform us about some water purification event from a long time ago in a long ago city. It's not why this is recorded. If you think that this is a lesson in water softening, you miss the point. It's not why it's there. It's here to show us that what God did then, He can do today. Let me say it again. What God did then, He can do today. That regardless, that regardless of how bitter or how barren something has become, the power of Jesus Christ can make it right. Amen. I have encountered, and you have encountered, People whose source, if you will, has somehow become embittered. I'm going to take it a step further. I have been 
perhaps you have been a person who has in some way at some time become embittered. Something has fouled you up. Something happened at some point in our history and it it affected us. Now, I don't, I don't know what it was in your case or what it is in your case or what it is in the person that you've encountered. Maybe it was, maybe it was some kind of a pattern that was passed down from previous generations. No, I'm in no way pointing fingers. I'm not thinking of any one person or or group, but I have seen this. I have seen the bitterness in one generation be passed on to the next generation and to the next generation. I have seen a, a root of bitterness that, that can thread its way through an entire family tree. that it affects everything. Maybe there was some pattern, maybe, maybe in your life, or, and, and let's keep it more talking about ourselves than the person that maybe we know. Maybe there was something in your family, some, some attitude, some resentment, some kind of a pollution that, that if you knew their history, it, it, it not only went to the generation before you, but maybe the generation before that and the generation before that. We see these things often go from one generation to the next. Maybe it was, maybe what it, what it was in some, in some way there was some unconfessed sin. Now you have to understand that all of us were polluted, right? We were born in pollution, <laughs> spiritual pollution. We were all born in sin, and, and, and we need the Savior to bring us out, and we give our lives to Christ, and boy, that's going right to the source. I mean, going, going beyond the behavior, going beyond the obvious, going beyond the external, right down to the very source of us, and He changes us, and He saves us, and, and glory to God, that's where it begins but then maybe over the course of time in our walk with the Lord, things come in or we allow things to come in and, 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 and we know they're, they're not right. We know that they're ungodly and we don't confess them. We call that unconfessed sin. Oh, and by the way, we still talk about sin here. There are some churches that don't, but we, it's a real thing. And it's a destructive thing. And, and it's a deadly thing. There's, there, there are people who who can look back at some point in their life and say, it's at that point that I gave my life to Jesus, but, but I allowed something in and it's unconfessed. And boy, it's, it's just affecting everything. You see, that's the thing about it because remember, like a, like a water source, it doesn't just affect the spring, it affects everything else that it touches. And something like water touches really everything. Maybe, it's, maybe, maybe that's what messed up the, the source Maybe it was some, ah, I got to say it, maybe it was some kind of an abuse, right? I mean, that, that happens. 
finished reading a book this last week about a young woman who faced just indescribable abuse and, and how it embittered her for a time and, and, and how it was resolved. See, God can do amazing things, but th there are people that bad things happen to them. They're not, they, they didn't go looking for it. They didn't open themselves up to it, but it came to them. And, and I've known people and you've known people and maybe you've been that person or you, you've experienced this and, and, and you know what abuse is. And, and it, it can, I tell you what, it can just, it can embitter us. So angry at what happened. So angry at those who did it. So angry at, and embittered at those who allowed it to happen, who perhaps looked the other way. And it affects a person's spirit. See, it's too easy to look at someone and say, man, they're just, they just got a bad attitude. Oh, they're just such a bitter person, such a, yeah, well, you know what? We don't always know what went into that, do we? I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that there are things that happen that affect people at their source. Perhaps a person can become injured by religious people, right? People who, who speak of God, but whose intent is not to restore but to manipulate. I, I've known people who have been spiritually abused and manipulated and, and it embitters them. A good friend who was in a community that had just been ravaged by spiritual abuse. People taking advantage of their position and, and bringing just horrible abuse upon a group of people. This was a few years ago. He, he said, going into that place, it was so difficult because every person was so embittered at what had been done in the name of God. And people become bitter, resentful. Anything speaking of God. How many people have, how many people are there? Only God knows, but how many people have had a, taste of foul religion and they vowed never to go near it again you you probably are aware that the and and i'm sure that the next census will reveal this even more so but with each every 10 years the numbers indicate that the greatest the fastest growing group of religious identification are what are called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. In other words, they check the box saying no religion, no religious affiliation, no identification, none, N-O-N-E, none. That's the fastest growing, if you will, religious identification is no, none. Why is that? Perhaps because there have been people that have been so embittered by empty religion or foul religion or religion that only speaks of the power of God or only references the power of God that happened a long time ago rather than saying God transforms people today. 
See, I believe that I too would be embittered if the only thing that I heard about Jesus was something that happened a long time ago or maybe happened to someone in a previous century, but, it, but, but he, he has no change in our lives today. Well, why wouldn't people be embittered by that? I mean, the reasons why there is bitterness in people, they are so many. Some people become bitter when they walked away from God thinking God first walked away from them. How many people have had some kind of crushing news and some kind of horrible thing happened in their life and they believe they're wrong, but they believe that God failed them, that God walked away from them, and so they want nothing to do with him, and they're embittered, and it's at the very source. And it never just affects one area, it affects every area. So many things can create bitterness and spiritual barrenness in people. You see, barrenness always follows the bitterness. Remember, it wasn't just that the water was bad, but that the land was unproductive. Something was wrong at the source. Some, boy, this is not a lot of good news. I'm, I'm getting to that. But some of you, some of you may be thinking, Pastor, you don't know me and you don't know what I've been through. Or, or maybe you're thinking, you don't know what my family has endured, and you are absolutely right. I don't know what you've been through. But I know, I know from right here, I know from 2 Kings chapter 2, and, and I know from about a couple of hundred other places in this God's Word, I know that God heals and that God restores and that God refreshes. Amen. You see, I know that, that, that I, I, I see, I see it every day and so do you. In fact, some of you see it in some ways more than I do. I mean, you're, you're exposed to certain situations and you see the ravages that this world has had on people. But I know that God heals and I know that God restores and I know that God purifies and I know that he refreshes and I know that he did it through Jesus Christ. Luke chapter, the gospel of Luke chapter 4, Jesus said he was sent to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, and to proclaim freedom for those who are oppressed. Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he made a declaration, a statement of determination. This is what I'm all about. And, he, and, I, and I, with great caution and care, I paraphrase Jesus. He essentially said this, I've come to make bitter waters sweet. I've come to deal with things at the source. I've come to heal and to restore and to refresh. That's what Jesus was and is all about. Glory to God. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. So that he could, with his blood, go to the very source and change people and give them hope and give them help so that there's something more than the bitterness and the barrenness of this world. John chapter 10, verse 10. I love this text. Jesus said, Satan comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, but I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Again, Jesus made a statement of purpose. Again, I paraphrase. 
Jesus said, Satan will come to foul up your well. He'll come to mess up your spring. But I've come to bring refreshing and healing and wholeness. It's going to affect everything around you. Folks, that's why this is a powerful gospel. That's why we have this message that this world is dying to hear. They don't know that the water's bad. They don't know that things are fouled up. They just think this is, this is how it's supposed to be. But we have the answer. Jesus said, I have come to give life, bring life, and that more abundantly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone, would you say that with me? If anyone, anyone, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I paraphrase one more time. It's the, the Bible's declare in there in 2 Corinthians that, 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 that the, the old foulness has passed away, but the new freshness has come through Jesus, if you are in Jesus Christ. And he goes to the source and he cleans things up. Hallelujah. The old has passed and the new has come. The old has passed and the new has come. Maybe that's why it was supposed to be a new bowl. Say, God's going to do something new in you. Again, what happened at a, what happened at a Jericho spring 2,800 years ago happens today. God makes things new. Now, I'm going to warn you, if you're here this morning or you're listening to this message, I warn you, here's what Satan's going to do. Satan will tell you that your bitter water is normal and barren ground is your lot in life. Satan is very good at telling, convincing people that bitter water is normal and barren ground is just the way that it is. And the best that you can do is maybe plant a little garden and, and, and maybe get a little bit of rainwater and that's just, that's enough and but don't worry about anyone else. Satan is very good about telling people that bitter water is normal and barren ground is one's lot in life. But it's a lie. Bitter water is not the norm. Bitter spirits are not the norm. Walking around with bitterness is not the norm. And it's not necessary. In fact, if we know, if we know that he's the healer, that he's the refresher, and we still carry around bitterness, then, then we must do something about it. I mentioned earlier that sometimes we are that person. I, and there have been times in my life where I said, God, there's something there. There, there, is, there, is, there is something there, and I don't like it. It stinks. You know water, some water can, if you have, if you have stinky water, you got a problem. And sometimes we're stinky. Has anyone else, just, just help me out a little bit, has anyone else ever in, in your lifetime, in all of your years, of, has anyone else here ever had a stinky attitude? Nine. Nine persons here. No, there'd be more, yeah. Ten. My wife and I were traveling the other day, and uh, 
I said something, and she goes, well, that's a terrible attitude. And I replied to her, wait a minute, I'm the pastor at First Assembly. I have a wonderful attitude. I didn't say, I'm kidding, I didn't say that. <laughs> Thought about it for a while. And she, do you know, the, do you know uh, 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 science says, or demographic, demographic sh- studies have shown that, 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 that people who are, who are married live longer. And the reason that they do that is because you know, they'll say, hey, you better get that, you know, that, that little black thing on your face checked out or that, and, and, or uh, you better get that checked out. You know, it's, so, so people who are married, they, 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 the, the, their husband or wife tells them, you got to go get this. Do you know that, that spiritually speaking, I'm, I'm healthier because of my wife and she's healthier because of me because, well, let's not go there, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and that's one of the reasons why we go through life together. Because sometimes as fellow believers, we go, you know what, I love you, but you got a stinky attitude. And, and, and maybe Jesus, and, and you know, you better have a relationship or a word from the Lord, one of the two, to, to say that. But, you know, we have a place to do that. And, and say, all right, listen, I sense a degree of bitterness. Let's deal with that. Let, let's, let's get that out. Let's expose that. And let's let, let's let the healer bring his wonderful new bowl and salt and just do an amazing work in your life. See, we can do that. And we should do that. In a few moments, in a few moments, we're going to close. And, uh, we're, but we're going to close in, in a unique way. All right? I, I don't... We're going to... In fact, I'm going to even say we're going to close in what I believe can be a miraculous way. Remember what I said, that the things that he did before, he desires to do again. I'm not going to throw salt at you. I'm not going to come to your house and throw salt in your sink. But I believe that the God who spoke to Elisha and said, today there's healing in your waters. And from this day forward, there will be productivity. I believe the God who did that can do it again today. What God did then, God does now. I want you to look again at what the word says in verse 21. God said, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. For studying that text over the last couple of weeks in preparation for this morning, I think it was last Tuesday or Wednesday, the Lord very clearly said, you are to believe that and pray that over people today. You see, you're not here by accident. You're not here by mistake. <laughs> I believe that what God did then, God wants to do now. And God wants to heal some waters today.
And God wants to heal some barrenness today. I'm, I'm talking about spiritual barrenness. I believe God wants to do that. So here's what I'd like you to do. If it's at all possible, would you, everyone, stand? I feel a little bit like Elisha did. <laughs> God, you told me to do this. You better come through. But I also believe that Miracles happen when we in faith do what God calls us to do. Here's what I'd like you to do. See, it's not just my part. I've done my, I've, I've, I'm almost completed with my part. Your part is to be here and to receive this and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, but there's one more thing, and that is to say, Lord, there's bitterness. I've been praying this, and I know that he's been doing this. He did it in me this last week. That he, he does a scan, and he, he has a way of determining bitterness. In these next few moments, as always, at the close of this service, after I close in prayer, these altars are going to be open. So let me just say that right up front. When we're done, if you want to spend, there will be some music quietly playing in the background. And, and, and you can spend as much time as you want around these altars. Please, please know that. It's something that we, we do almost every time that we're here. This is, this is always available to you. But I want you to do something right where you're standing or right where you're seated, seated right now. I'm going to ask the Lord to do a scan and see if there be any, what is the song we says? see if there be any wickedness in me? Lord, is there any bitterness in me? I'm going to ask the Lord to identify that. And then here's what you need to do. You need to take that and you need to give it to the Lord. However, however it happened, it may have been something that was passed down from one generation to the next. It may have been something that was done to you and you had no choice on it. It may be because you allowed something in and it fouled up the spring. It may be because of what somebody did or didn't do. I don't know. I don't know what messed up the spring in Jericho, but I know who healed the spring in Jericho. Here's what I'd like you to do. When I pray, we're going to ask the Lord to identify it. Anything, big, small, it may just have a little musty odor in your water, so to speak. Say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you today. And I'm going to trust this. I'm going to trust that the God who declared healing in a moment, remember, this was not a gradual thing. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. It was an immediate thing. And I'm going to ask that the Lord will do a miraculous and immediate thing in our lives. Do you believe that can happen? Did the God who did that kind of a powerful thing then, can he still do it now? 
No, this is going to take months to deal with. Well, he may, he, you may have to come back to this again and again. But, but I believe, you see, I believe that God can heal immediately. I know it because I've experienced it. But I want you to experience it. So bow your heads with me. I want you to agree with me in prayer as I pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and how you've spoken to us this day and how the words of 2 Kings chapter 2 are, are still very clear and fresh in our understanding. I thank you for that, Lord. That this is not filler between chapters 1 and 3. So now, Lord, here's what I ask. Would you do an analysis of my water? Would you scan my source? If there is any bitterness in me, regardless of how it got there, because of what someone did, didn't do, because of something that happened to me, because of a choice that I made, Lord, today, I ask for healing. Today, I ask for healing. There has been bitterness. I've carried it. I've carried it too long. One day is too long, but I've carried it. And today, Lord, today, I ask that you will heal my water. I want to walk out of this place with no bitterness in me. No bitterness, Lord. No resentment. The enemy will try to tell me that it is my, that that, that bitterness is normal. The world around me will tell me again and again and again that I have the right to that bitterness. The enemy will tell me that barrenness is my lot in life, but I recognize it for what it is. It is a lie, and Jesus, I refute that lie in your name. Heal me, Lord. Heal me. I want freshness. I want purity. I want everything that I touch, Lord, to be productive. But it can't because the source is polluted. But Jesus, you're greater. You died on that cross for my sins. I surrender my life to you, maybe for the first time. Or there are perhaps persons that right now, they're saying, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. I want to be yours. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. Come into my heart. There may be others, Lord, who made that prayer a long time ago, but today they're saying, oh, God, heal me again. So this I pray. This I pray. In these holy moments, it took just a moment. It took just a moment back then. It takes just a moment now. Not because of what we, the words that we use, but because of the power of the cross. Pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe a holy work, but now one more thing. We're not done. It's very important. Huh. 
hey, listen, you know me. I'm no Elisha. I'm no Elijah. I'm just a servant of the Lord, but I'm supposed to say something today. And it's a declaration, not from me, but from the Lord. And I want you to receive this from the Lord. I want you to receive this from the Lord. God said, and I declare it over you. He has healed this water. Never again. Never again will it cause death or make your land unproductive. I declare that over you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, Lord, as we make our way from this place, we go in your blessing and we go in your fruitfulness and we go in your refreshing in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. These altars are open. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.